he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. a gay mickey gotta get a gay hello and welcome to another episode of in the details a celebration of nuance where each week each couple of weeks i clean out on all of the acting choices micro moments and magic in the minutia that make a scene great my name is colin drucker your name is barbara belgettis and folks please welcome back leanne to the podcast hello and welcome back leanne Hello, Colin. How are you doing? It's so good to see you. I'm so happy to be here today. It's like to talk about this because it's going to be an interesting one. I am so excited. So now this is I feel like this episode is happening because of you. Um, I know folks, obviously, uh, Leanne is no stranger to the podcast. She was on the Muriel's wedding episode. We queened out on that, uh, especially Muriel's mother. So um, required listening. Uh, but Hysterical Blindness, which of course is the topic of today's episode, that's a movie that I have loved deeply and dearly forever. And I, I kind of always felt like at some point I'm going to talk about it on this podcast. But, you know, in the meantime, we did an episode of it uh, for our uh, Patreon for All Right Mary. And I mean, that was like, I mean, probably it was a while ago. I think it was like probably at least a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you had listened to it and then you had messaged, you know, talking about like your feelings in the movie. And, and to me, it was like, Oh my God, you know, this movie. Oh my God. And immediately my, my response was, you need to come on the podcast. We need to talk about this. It was, uh, that's one of the few things in the world that, and it's relevant to what we were just talking about off the mic. Um, that is like such a, it's such a great find because it's kind of an obscure movie. And, um, so finding someone else who knows it and loves it, and is from New Jersey and knows it uh, is an added benefit. So um, thank you for inspiring this episode. <laughs> hey, no, no problem. I mean, yeah, I had listened to some back, you know, back like uh, episodes and the Matreon episodes. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, I couldn't believe, you know, because this this film is kind of, yeah, it's lost to time. It's about it's only 18 years old. Yeah. And it's an HBO uh, pr- produced film. Yet it's not an HBO go which they say, oh, their whole catalog, but they do not have this on there. Mm. And you can't, You, I bought a DVD of it. I found it, one DVD. There's like a few out there on Amazon, but mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, it doesn't exist. And it has a fabulous cast. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's like a slice of life. It's not the most grand, you know, thing, but it's, it's, it has a lot to it. And it's very interesting, especially if you're from Jersey and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And but it doesn't exist, and um, and then you guys were talking about it, and I was just yes, yes, yeah. finally. Oh, that's I mean, you know, in a way, you know, doing those episodes, and with, between doing in the details and the Patreon episodes, it is just like here are all the things from my catalog. If anyone else cares about this, please tell me, because I just you know I got to find those people. So I probably found out about this because in my freshman year of college, which was two thousand three. Um, one of my first friends in college had the movie Monsoon Wedding on DVD, which, of course, was also directed by Mira Nair. And I fell in love with Monsoon Wedding. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful film. Oh, I mean, that is one I'm definitely going to do on In the Details. There is a, there's one scene in particular that I am obsessed with. Um, it's uh, But the whole thing, I mean, the soundtrack, everything about that movie is just beautiful. 
And so I fell in love with that. And I feel like that was like, then I went down the rabbit hole, the IMDb rabbit hole of Mira Nair. And so either that's where I found hysterical blindness or then that's when I became aware of it. And I was like, Mira Nair, I know her. And, you know, New Jersey, 1987, I know that. And, you know, it was just like kismet. And um, I and I, I think I bought it on DVD as well uh, back in the day. And it was... It was one of the, it's one of those movies that in the 18 years since that I've watched it and I've, you know, because when I saw it then, I was about 18. And so, you know, when they say love is a battlefield, I was just about, about to learn that. And so this is one of those movies now that I'm 35. In the, in the time since that I've watched, each time that I've watched it, I've taken away something different because I'm, I'm a different version of myself identifying with a different part of this movie or recognizing a different part of this movie. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause like I'm basically Amber Autumn's like, she's my peer. Uh-huh. I was born in 78. So she would have been probably born in 77. So she's about 10 years old. So yeah, like I'm like that little girl. I know that whole like thing I lived. Uh, well I was living in like Hillside and then we lived in Nutley and these guys are in Bayonne. Mm-hmm. Um, and technically the play was based in Avenel. So no. like what, what, yeah, so Woodbridge area, right? Oh. So like that's kind of your area. I grew up in Rahway. So yeah, yeah, because you're you're like a Menlo Park mall guy. I'm a Garden State Plaza person. <laughs> Thank you. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Menlo Park Mall and Woodbridge Mall were the kind of two like they were like the Patty mm-hmm. and Selma of malls in my life, you know. Um, and and then when I was 14, we moved to Bridgewater. So then it was Bridgewater Commons. Oh, I nice. I know it's, nice. it's too too rich for my blood. <laughs> Yeah, I also, yeah, Willowbrook and yeah, Garden State. So it's like, it's that kind of area, but which sounds weird to people who are not from that area because it's like, it's so, there's so many people who live there. It's so densely packed. I mean, we had million, what, like three million people living in that small, like 20 mile area or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But the cultures are so very different and varied in that, in that small area that it, you know, there are sort of factions. There is, there's differences and classes and stuff and you see that in this film yeah you see one s- specific social class yeah that i wasn't a part of technically yeah um, i feel like i was two towns over now like in rawway you're blowing my mind that this was set in avenel in the original play because rawway is two towns over from avenel and i know avenel i mean it's like setting this in bayonne is very specific and like to your point new jersey is kind of like manhattan for a very small space of you know piece of land you can break it up in so many different little in little nuances for you know to stay on brand and um the the idea of setting this in avenel and i realize that like this is real inside baseball for anyone who is not from central new jersey but it's just like it's like an added level of like mundane suburban like despair because bayonne Bayonne's Bayonne, but it has that feeling of like you can kind of see Manhattan in the distance. You cannot see Manhattan in the distance from Avenel. Yeah, see that that's one thing. I always lived in a place where I could see like Hillside, you could kind of see it, and then when we moved to Nutley, which is hilly, mm-hmm. oh absolutely. I've always lived in that. I always lived in the Essex area, like mm. Bloomfield and Belleville and Montclair. I had like three different apartments. So like mm. that's my whole like life. So it was always like the city was right there. Yeah. Always, always, always. Like it, it, the looming shadow, so to speak. You know? there, it, yes, there's something about living in New Jersey and about your proximity to the city. And 
you know, I remember as a kid, I was so afraid of New York, like the size of it. It wasn't like, oh, it's so, I mean, I wasn't aware of how safe or unsafe it was, but the, the <laughs> just the size of it, the, the, the scale of it, that it was just like sensory overload. And then, you know, when I was like 12 or 13, I remember going into Manhattan with my dad, like, cause he liked to go in the city a lot. And I remember like going to Greenwich village. And of course I was aware of myself at the time and <laughs> I, it was like to me at that point then new york was like this the xanadu right across the hudson and i just had to get there <laughs> oh yeah i mean my i mean my dad's from the city my grandparents no line like met on coney island my grandma's like an irish immigrant my grandpa's uh, you know, a German immigrant, they met there, they married, you know, in the 40s, you know, that whole thing. So for me, it was like my dad would take us to the city just to see the neighborhood, yeah. you know, that kind of, so we would, I mean, I would always be there. And this was like in the 80s, like, and that's like, you know, lock your doors. It was shady like this. I, it's, it's crazy that people live in Brooklyn now. It's like one of those yeah. things. Oh, yeah. I, oh, my God. Like, really? I mean, so it was, yeah, it's a very different world. And to see this world in this film it's like it's like a portrait that doesn't exist. I watched it with my husband last night and he was like, oh, my gosh, all of that's condos now in Bayonne. Like none of that exists, mm. like none of those homes. Those homes might be still there, but they 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 like uh, Beth wouldn't be able to afford that. rent. No, no. I, you know, yeah. things like that. Mm -hmm. That's a great point uh, is like the proximity to New York now means it, it it's now like. Well, now you're prime real estate. Now you're close to New York. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the working class, I mean, sure, there's got to be a working class of some type, but they're probably like living not as well. Mm -hmm. If you're a diner waitress, I mean, diner waitresses, you know, they probably do make a lot of money once they get like higher up. And, and you know, I mean, if you're working at like TikTok or something, mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're raking in the, you know, the tips. But like, that's not really like you're not going to be able to own a home they owned a home she eventually buys the furniture which she saved up for things like that that wouldn't be possible so it's an interesting thing that like how they lived but also the fact that they were sort of economically disadvantaged i think that's kind of why uh you know deb is so very un you know flaky oh flaky like let's put it the woman has severe anxiety issues yeah oh my gosh you know? well that was something you know we had we were uh messaging uh earlier this week or last week and you had mentioned you know really seeing debbie through the lens of like this is someone with untreated mental illness and that was such an interesting way of of watching this because i had always recognized the anxiety and maybe when i was younger i think actually really the first few times i saw this i I identified so deeply with Debbie that I didn't quite see how desperate and delusional she was. And, and I think now, I think now, like in my thirties, I see desperate, I see delusional, but I also just see, yeah, these like, you know, these manic shifts, you know, and I've seen I, in some of the comment sections, cause I found a bootleg on YouTube. Um, there were people also mentioning as well, like symptoms of bipolar disorder, you know, possibly. And, and I'm not armchair, you know, diagnosing anybody but just the idea that that is another factor and it's not just like here's this like desperate bimbo it's like here's someone who is really ne really needs help and for a number of reasons is not going to get that help right i mean she's kind of she's not quite an alcoholic but she's on her way she's going out every night drinking and she definitely like binge drinks drinks too much i mean the bartender i mean the fact that like bobby the bartender the whole time in that long tracking shot 
that long bar scene, he's watching her the whole time. Like, Oh my God, like I have to deal with this girl mm. and I don't want to have to like, you know, he's, I mean, the bartender, even though he's not incredibly eloquent, he's, he knows what's going on with her probably better than anybody else in a weird way. Yeah, he. I mean, I would have to imagine that she's been going to Ollie's since she was, you know, old enough to get a drink at the bar. And he's probably been there for many of those years. And so, you know, he I feel like and maybe I like to imagine that, like, before he was a bartender, they went to high school together, you know, and like it, that there's a long understanding of who Debbie Miller is. And of course they've slept together before. Like he, he knows that she's trouble, but it's like, you know, what are you going to do? Kick her out for getting drunk at the bar, you know? And that's, you know, it, it's just like, there's also like just letting nature take its course. And he's just like the witness to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like the whole thing where he's like, you just don't see things. Maybe you don't see things so clearly. And she freaks out. And he's just like, Oh God, man, I'm just trying. Like, yeah. it's the best I can do. You know, like I'm also working here and everything too. Right. And that's the thing too, where he's doing the bartender, like, you know, being the psychologist as bartenders do. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a social job. I mean, there's sort of actors at times, right? Yeah. You're totally you know? like fulfilling what somebody wants, you know, wants you to be what kind of bartender they want. You know, they want the therapist or they want the friend or they want someone to flirt with them. And, um, yeah, it's part of the job in a weird way. Yeah, the daytime bartender. Think about it. That guy was just some guy. Oh, my God. You're so right. Yeah, the daytime bartender is, yeah, he's he's the three o'clock show. He's just, you know, phoning <laughs> it in. Um, you know, and it's on that note, uh, it, it makes me think of, you know, after that climactic moment. And, of course, we'll go back and set this up. But after that climactic moment with Rick, when she goes back to the bar, there's that shot of Bobby, like that pained look on his face as he's watching her come back to the bar. And to me, it's like, oh, this is like, he, it, it's like he's seen this before, but I feel like in some ways this has also been like worse. Like, oh, this was really bad, you know? Yeah, no, he's seen, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, how many times has this sort of scenario drawn itself out because I mean if she's technically like slept with half the people in the bar then how many times has this happened I mean the people in town know and like quite frankly like knowing how it is and like that you know it, that culture I you know I lived in the area you know until I was 35 and mm -hmm. I was hanging out or about and I was still kind of hanging out you know with there's still people around that you hang out with from high school and there's still like those little crappy bars that people go to and everybody knows each other because yep. you've been and it's like you know the stories of the people and so and you know who's doing what it's it, it, it's like a weird gossipy sort of culture caddy yeah. but everybody knows each other and like even at one point like the girl who's kind of mean to her or she's tries to help her out. She's like, are you okay? Right. You know, right. like she's seen this before and she's like, well, I got to help her out in some way, right. you know? So it's like this weird, like inbred thing where everybody knows each other and they've been around for too long. Oh, that exactly. That's a big part of it. They've been around for too long and it's, it's like a small town feeling, but not in a small town. That's the weird thing about New Jersey. I think is like mm -hmm. there, there can be that small town energy in, in little neighborhoods or towns or parts of New Jersey when it's like, you're not in a small town, you're, you're in a densely populated state, but it's, it's just, um, that's just what New Jersey is. And it, I think about, you know, there's this one shot, it's this one random shot of the, in the bar, but there's a, an extra, this woman who walks by, uh, maybe like Beth passes her or something, but she's got like this big kind of like tease, you know, uh, uh, 
crimped kind of mullet and this this pink shirt with shoulders cut out and it's it's just it's such a specific look and she looks like um oh she just looks like bad drag you know like it's just like oh boy like pig in a wig and it's like i know this woman like i know her i i know i don't even need to hear her you just need to speak in this movie for me to know what her voice sounds like. You know, like I, it's that deep understanding of who who these people are. Like the casting was just so perfect. It was like that's what everyone looked like. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the costume department was fantastic because everything was like this is what people actually dress like. Like this is one of the more authentic '80s movies. Absolutely, like the authentic outfits. I the only criticism I have is Uma Thurman's hair is not big enough it's like she you could tell that she didn't want them to like do her hair up or like give her a perm or conversely wear a wig Mm. like juliette lewis was like i'm all in right perm my hair give me the big bangs and the whole thing but uma thurman was like there's one scene with the filet mignon yes she has the big hair and it's that's that's the authentic look, and it should have been like that the whole time. That's the only criticism I have. But otherwise, yeah, that's what people look like then. Yeah. I, Into the 90s, it actually, like, oh, yeah. we're talking about up until, like, 92, people were rocking that look Yeah, with the big hair and everything. There are pictures you know? of my mom. She had big curly hair. It, and it's just like, and I remember at the time that just being like, oh, yeah, that's just what mom looks like. And now I look at mm-hmm. pictures, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what do you what do you have on your head? Uh, and... It, with Debbie with the hair and I yeah the the scene the shot of her sitting there waiting for Rick being stood up I mean that I want that printed and just put on my wall it's such a beautiful <laughs> shot it's just perfection but and she kind of looks like Joan Cusack in Working Girl uh, but the the baby devil's advocate or the other side of like Uma's hair and the flat hair is to me that is Debbie is that she doesn't she can't quite like it it falls flat and where beth comes out looking right there's just like something a little like flapjack about debbie miller like it's just a it's uma thurman like as debbie has just such a great sort of like baby giraffe quality where it just doesn't all it just makes sense to me that her hair just fails that she tried and maybe it worked in the morning but by the end of the night it flattens you know no that good point totally great yeah because she has like sort of yeah that thin hair perfect point yeah but just even thinking of like um juliet lewis the way they dance how okay well you know she's okay so she's dancing and it's a little silly but she's cute she's dancing real cute and it's like yeah cute and um, when Beth dances, it's just a whole thing. There's, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, it's, it's, it's like halfway. There's some parts that are kind of cool looking, but overall, she's kind of flaily and weird. And it's kind of like, look at me, and it's a stripper thing, or she's trying to do a poison video. I don't know what's happening there. Oh, Debbie, like in that last scene when she. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally. De- she has that Nomi Malone quality where it's just like, whoa, too mm-hmm. fast, too spastic. And it's funny you mentioned the dancing because I feel like that is also uh, a recurring moment in this is, you know, when when Beth is dancing that second night at the bar and she's just like, I just want to party all night, which is just I've, I've just yeah, oh, I just love yeah. I just love that. I'm like, oh, my God, Beth is drunk. Here it is. And she's dancing and she's just having like a great time. And, you know, and Debbie's like, everyone's looking at you. Everyone thinks you look stupid. And she's like, no, they don't. I don't care. And there's just this like great confidence in Beth, but partly because she's there with her friend Debbie. 
And then when Debbie leaves with Rick, there's that great scene where Beth is just like subsumed with people. Like the bar has filled. Everybody's gotten to that like late night drunk, you know, getting into like clumps and making out. And she's she's invisible. And there's one part where she tries to start dancing. Do you remember that? Where she like, yeah, and it's just like quiet. And then she just like scurries away. It's such like a heartbreaking little nuance. Um, and then there's Debbie's dancing at the end and it's, oh God, it's so, yeah, it's so painful and so wrong and, and off the beat. And, um, and the song is like, it's been stuck in my head. Mm -hmm. It's, it it is not Pat Benatar's finest moment. It's, uh, it's, it's really ridiculously cheesy. It's just too earnest. And it's just like, oh God, it, it, you know, and it's like, it feels like she's, fighting for our life and he just doesn't no nobody gets it yeah you know? oh my it's so you're right it's so on the nose so earnest i love the song before that i love like oh yeah that i can't remember which one it is i mean i can't remember the name of it but i know like i can hear it in my head right now but the way that it um the way that it kind of like propels her that beat the way that it kind of like lets her kind of spaz out but yeah that that final um that final dance is there is something kind of like it's like it's not even dancing anymore. It's some kind of possession, you know. It's some kind of like something has taken over Debbie or something. She's she's really like fully lost it, you know. She's lost her grip at this point. She's gotten fully blind, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it's very sad and and but I mean, luckily, I mean, somebody sort of tries to give her comfort. I mean, at least yeah. Somebody, somebody does. I mean, the whole situation turns out poorly in every way, but I mean, at least one person says, are you okay? I mean, right. that's the best you can get out of that situation. But then, I mean, luckily I think she does walk home later that night. Cause there's a, like, and then that's the thing too, in the film, there's a lot of drunk driving, there is there drunk driving everywhere, mm-hmm. which is, was the norm. Right. Uh, because that was like, bef- that was kind of when the, you know, Mothers Against Drunk Driving campaign was starting, but not so much. So, yeah, the drunk driving constantly. Yeah. Which is great. And a beautiful Camaro. Oh, so, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, because like, that last, yeah, the, yeah, luckily she, because Beth took her car that last night, which I think is then interesting to think about. Like, I'm sure the house is not terribly far away, but mm-hmm. it's at least a, a few minutes drive. Yeah. And just the thought of, like, Debbie having that long walk alone at home, like, walking home, like, it's we only kind of see that great shot of her kind of disappearing into the dark, walking along the tracks, but it's, I, I kind of like to fill in the blanks, like to imagine like what, I don't know, like what went through Debbie's mind in that walk, because she's just alone with herself, you know, and, um, and has to like get herself home, you know, like there's that sense of she has to take care of herself. And, um, and I don't know, I, I just, I think by the end of the movie, you know, there's, there's such a, a sense of possibility or a sense of like, you know, healing. And I, I kind of think like, well, when did that happen? Like what, what happened for Debbie that night where the next day could be different, you know? Well, I guess, I mean, I think it was maybe the maturity and the shock of everything that happened where, you know, Nick passes, but she, you know, she, she, he gave her like a, like the thing she needed mm-hmm. at least once, mm-hmm. you know, like approval from a father figure. She got one time at least in her life. And then he passed. I mean, and then she doubted him, right. Then she doubted him after that. Mm-hmm. And then he passes. So I think all of that culminating kind of hopefully has propelled her 
at the end towards maybe a little more maturity, at least trying to be a little more like, oh, wow, things can be different. Like, look what mom did. Mom bought furniture. Wow, that's amazing. Like, like she's even like, holy, like, can't even believe this is real. Right, right. Kind of thing. Yeah, no, I that's right. It's like that, that there could be, it's like their lives had just been such a routine night after night, week after week, month after month, year after year. And like, you know, then something big happened, you know? And, like, and I think, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you know, when, when she and Beth are driving or I think, you know, after she's met Rick and um, she's kind of recounting, you know, the night that they had together and she's telling Beth and Amber Autumn about it. And she says, oh, everything can just change in an instant. You know, it's just incredible how life can change. And she thinks that meeting Rick is the great big change in her life, but it's, it's Nick dying and Rick breaking her heart. That's actually potentially the real change in her life. Yeah. And also her, I think the doubting thing where she was like, Oh mom, he's not going to come and you're wrong and everything. Mm -hmm. And then he dies. And she was like, Oh, holy shit. I was like totally wrong about everything. Mm -hmm. And I got to like reevaluate. And it's just like, even just how I talk to my mom, like, yeah. cause she's, she's always like crappy to her mom. And at this point she's like, what, like 25 or 26. I think 28. Yeah. Like, I think the oh, math uh, is that she was, uh, I, I think I remember doing, I, the only, I just remember from doing the hysterical blindness episode that I did some kind of math about, she was 13 when her father left. And then that was 15 years ago or somehow, I don't know, somehow I, okay. but late twenties. Yeah. 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 So she's like, you know, but she's finally maybe realizing like, you know, I can't jump to these crazy conclusions all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that she's going to go to therapy cause it's not going to be in her like, like even like popular psychology, like going to therapy didn't become a, like a thing to talk about until like the mid nineties sort of like with like, you know, Prozac nation, Elizabeth mm -hmm. works, all that kind of thing. That's when the first time. So she's probably not going to become, she'll probably become that lady who's like maybe in her fifties and goes, Oh my God. Like, you know, and then finally goes, right. And gets some help or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. She'll muddle through, and maybe she will go get better in the factory and move up in management. Who knows? Well, yeah. I mean, you look uh, at the the older women you know? she works with. Like, I think of that one blonde woman who says, "Oh, you met a or no, I don't know if she says you met a guy with a house." The other guy says that, but she. There, I think of the blonde woman because I think Debbie kind of looks like her, and it's like that could be Debbie. And and you know, I mean, the reality that like that that could be okay. Like, there's also the reality where like Debbie could have a good job. And she could be able to support herself and maybe move out and she lives in a neighborhood that she likes and she's got all her friends and I don't know, like I, as someone who like, you know, didn't flee their hometown, but like it didn't stay home, you know, like didn't, doesn't, I don't go back. I mean, I have no reason to go back now because my parents aren't there anymore and um, there's no family there. And so, um, and I, I know a lot of people who, you know, stayed in the same town they grew up in and married someone they went to school with and kind of continued that community um i can understand like for me that wasn't a thing but i could recognize how that could be a really good life for someone like debbie miller you know oh yeah i mean especially i mean because they she has a little family unit i mean she has but then she also has you know um you know she, she has uh beth who uh you know she's she's that's her family in a weird way that's like not her sister but Beth doesn't have anybody. I mean, whatever her situation with her parents are in Florida, whatever that's about. Mm -hmm. So she has no one. I mean, she has like her kid and the surrogate family and they have her. 
so it's like that kind of it's like kind of like a, they made their own little family you know yeah no it's true and I, and I think that is like yeah there there's the things that we don't get a lot of details on like the fact that beth's parents are in florida um and you know beth is uh I'm sure she goes on dates every once in a while. Like I think between Beth and Debbie guys usually probably prefer Beth. Um, And, you know, and she has that relationship with Amber autumn where it's like, you know, it is a little bit of like older sister, younger sister, you know, and, um, and, and she, and Amber autumn has to be it. And it's not that, you know, uh, Beth is like very immature. It's that Amber autumn has to be an adult at the table, you know? Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I mean, she's pretty good-natured about it and stuff, but, I mean, it kind of sucks in a way. I mean, she's being left home. It's the summertime, so we mean, you know, you know, the, like, that's why I figure, like, okay, it's still bright out and stuff, but it's probably, like, 8.30. Right, you know? right, and right. And so mom's going out at 8.30 or whatever, and at one point when she calls you know, the, uh, uh, Mrs. Miller to, you know, do you want to watch TV with me? I mean, like there's nobody home. It's probably like maybe nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, mm-hmm. who knows, you know, and this kid's a home alone. And I mean, is that's not safe. And nowadays, you know, people would tweak out if you left like a nine or 10 year old home alone, like every night while you're drinking, you know, that just wouldn't be done. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, that's when you really think about, you know, I mean that scene, yeah, where Amber calls, um, Ginny and you know and I love I mean she's just such a polite little girl like this is Amber mm-hmm. Autumn Tachinsky. Um hi Mrs. Miller and you're like would you and the way she's like would you like to come over and watch TV it's it's just so devastating you know it's like I, I feel for Beth and I feel for Debbie but then I'm like by the end I'm like yeah Beth you need to take care of your fucking kid you need to go home and be with your daughter like what are you doing Beth and I, I appreciate that she kind of, I appreciate that Beth also had a wake up call, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause she's basically, it's almost like she takes care of Debbie instead of her own kids. Yes. Like, like, okay. Like the whole thing where, you know, the filet mignon making scene, the whole dinner, like making the scene where she's like, no mom, go away. And then she immediately calls Beth to go help. Yeah. And Beth drives over in her, her, uh, uh, it was an Omni, I believe. Oh my God. And yes. yeah. And my, yeah, my husband pointed that out. That his sister had a Dodge Omni also. <laughs> and, um, back then and yeah, she goes over to help her out. She's always rescuing her. She's always picking her up and stuff like that. It's almost like, but then again, you think like, who else was this girl's friend? She has a baby in the seventies as a teenage mom. How many people are going to be a friend? Mm. This is this this high strung girl is the only friend she has. Yeah. So it's almost like she's like, well, shit, I got to keep this friend, so I'm going to take care of her. Sort of. Not that she doesn't take care of the kid, but it's like. Yeah. Well, she's been taking care of Debbie longer than she's been taking care of yeah. Amber Autumn, and 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 um, yeah, I bet they've been friends since they were little girls. You know, like I bet that they've, you know, known each other forever. And and yeah, you know, then Beth gets pregnant at sixteen, and. Debbie's not going to abandon her. I mean, at that point, Debbie was, you know, her father had left three years before that. So, you know, Debbie needed anyone she could get, you know? And I, I think, yeah, like when that scene in the supermarket, like it's like, as Beth is kind of talking about, you know, the guy and, and the the little gold band with the chip and, you know, I want to go to Sparrows, like, you know, recounting the, the, the engagement with the guy or the, the attempted engagement with the guy who, uh, Amber Autumn's father. Uh, do we ever get his name? I don't remember. 
No, they never do say it. I don't yeah. think. No, they don't. They just say your father, mm-hmm. like they mentioned her going to, well, Great Adventure, but she says Six Flags. So, yeah. Which is weird. Oh, yeah. It's like, no, it's Great Adventure. Oh, I know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Six yeah. Flags. I, I feel like I called it Six Flags as a kid. Did you call it Great Adventure? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, rem- I remember thinking it, Six Flags Great Adventure. Like, you know, there's other ones where, like Six Flags over what? Texas yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. But I knew the formal name was Six Flags Great Adventure. Uh, but I think that's the only time they really mentioned the dad about how, oh, it was raining. You know, you couldn't go. And But it's obvious that this guy, like, maybe when he was a teenager and was, you know, having fantasies of getting married and being a father. Yeah, he wanted to do it then. But at this point, it's like, you know... 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. He was a kid you know. then. Now he's moving on with his life. I mean, in that sort of like quote unquote way of like, you know, ah, oh, well, I was 16 and, you know, a guy in the 80s in New Jersey in Bayonne. It's like, yeah, that's not unheard of that he. Oh, yeah. It's easy. Yeah. I mean, there's so many guys who just kind of like, yeah, got a kid, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, I think with with Beth, I, I feel like between the two of them, it's like, well, I'm glad Beth is the one who has the kid because there is a, because she takes care of Debbie so much and because she has to be the voice of reason and she has to be the calmer energy. And she is, I mean, she sees that Rick is no good before Debbie does. Um, I feel like the, the silver lining of all of this is it, it, it bodes well for being a good mom, you know, like she has the fixings of potentially being a good mom. Oh, yeah. And the kid is like, you know, like, you know, he's polite mm-hmm. and sweet like that. So, I mean, she's doing something right, you yeah. know, at that point. Yeah. But it, it was interesting, though, about Rick being like a bad guy. I mean, I think not so much. I mean, he's like not cool at the end, but mm-hmm. I think he just doesn't know what the hell to do. And he's just like, I got myself in this situation. And he's mm-hmm. just like, you know, because I mean, when he's like, hey, you know, cheer up. And she takes that as this amazing thing. He was just kind of being like, wow, this is a sad person. And I'm just going to maybe be kind of nice. Right. And she just and and even like him being like, yeah, I'll go out. I'll have dinner with you. Sure. Right. Right. He's just, like, you know, it was nice. almost like he's yeah, he's just kind of flat. He doesn't want to say flat out like, no, I don't want to see you again or whatever, because she'll flip out or or what. Or he just can't deal with that rejection or, or the rejection or he doesn't have the time for it or the mental capacity to really like think about like caring so it's like well yeah sure i'll go to dinner with you right Great. right he's not thinking of like oh how you know now she's gonna make dinner for me and you know he's not thinking through all the consequences of that um yeah. and you're right it, i i that's actually a, a good point is i don't actually think rick is a bad guy it, it through debbie's eyes you know no pun intended circle blindness blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh huh? I, yeah i could see how she could see that but like she he gave her an inch and she just took you know uh, many many miles you know and i think there's that one moment with the jukebox where they're trying to pick the song and then that you know debbie's like okay let's just go back and there's that moment where beth and rick make eye contact and he's obviously more interested in her than debbie so so then there's that dynamic where beth knows like he's not into you and like and you know objectively i don't blame him she's a lot and yeah. Uh, and it, I feel like it's that kind of thing of like, well, what do you do as a good friend? Do you tell her or do you not? And just kind of like, not try to like break her heart. And it's like, that's what both Beth and Rick are kind of doing in a way. It's just like trying to not let her down, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, she had told her about that, that he was like checking her out. She would have freaked out and she would have been like, 
oh, um, she would have blamed her or something. It would have been a whole thing. Because at one point, little Amber Autumn says, like when they're waiting to get in the car to go to the diner, and she's like, hurry up, you know how she is. Like Amber Autumn is already like knowing, like everybody kind of knows how to deal with her. Yeah. They're they're not dealing with her. They're not acknowledging her her anxiety or anything like that, but they know it's, it's like that. So it's like, all right, we have to live with her in this way. We have to kind of walk on eggshells in a weird way around her. Yeah. That's, but she's an enjoyable person, I guess. I mean, they have to, they get something out of it, you know, of being with her. Yeah. There's times where that she's a lot of fun to be with, but then yeah, she gets drunk. She gets jealous. She gets, you know, triggered, you know, as the case may be. I mean, I think about when they first get to Ollie's that first night and, you know, she says to Beth how, you know, hysterical blindness and it's triggered by stress. And Beth is like, you know, I see I told you, you got to just learn how to relax. And and Beth has that moment where she or Debbie has that moment where she flips out and she goes like, you know, um, things happen to me. You know, like she she becomes insistent on being the victim and Beth has to just not challenge her on that, you know, and um and it's like it's probably been like this for years. Like Beth has been, at least since Debbie's father left, Beth has been kind of conditioned to to walk on eggshells with Debbie. Yeah, which is a difficult way to have a friendship. So it's like it's it's such a you know like wow like what it's stressful. Yeah, it's just a stressful friendship, and it's like where is the stress coming from? I mean, it's it's just a lot. I get it. it's basically she can't deal with her life. And she doesn't acknowledge anything about her life. And that's why she's constantly like, she doesn't acknowledge like, okay, I have this trauma from the past Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And also just like, she doesn't seem to like to have it like drive her mom around or like pick her mom up or things like that. But it's that weird thing where she's even like, oh, I live in the basement. I have my privacy. Like that's such like a weird, like, like little kid. Like I have my privacy. Mm -hmm. Like who's has that it's just so childish and weird right it's like an odd flex it's like okay yeah yeah you're that's like most people would be like yeah i mean and honestly living in jersey at that time living with your parents wasn't that weird yeah a lot a lot of people live with their families it's a pretty like living with your family centric kind of culture at least my dad wanted me to live at home until I was married almost. I yeah. mean, he was almost like, live at home, live at home. And I was like, you know, Germans, like, you could live at home. But I was like, you know, I went out on my own. Um, but, you know, I could have lived at home until, like, yeah. I mean, he lived at home until he got married. Mm-hmm. So did my mom. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so that's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, the whole, like, becoming, like, getting a job and moving out and getting a house that you didn't generally do that until you got married. So that's the whole thing. She's not married. Mm-hmm. She's not doing all the things that she's supposed to be doing. So she's just like cycling. Right. Like, and you think about like at that time, like to that point of like all the things you're supposed to be doing. And I agree, like it's not uncommon to like, you know, uh, to live with your parents, you know, and, and, you know, it wouldn't be terribly common to go to college. So there wouldn't be a reason to leave the house. Um, and so I think then to that point it's like but debbie's now 28 and at that time to to be unmarried at 28 it's like well debbie oh you know like it's looked at as like you know when you're gonna have kids when are you gonna settle down like now to me it's like 28 you're a baby you don't you have no rush you know but that's the thing people still do that to this day yeah so back then it was really a heavy Mm -hmm. feeling and then but it was funny too she mentions oh well you know you know, she's, she says, you know, um, 
she's like, well, you're never going to get married. You got a kid. Right. Like, you know, conversely, mm-hmm. you know, it's Juliet Luce. It's like, ah, oh, no, you're never going to, you know, you're not going to get married. Right. And in some ways, you know, you think about like how insecure Debbie is. And so then you think about her being friends with Beth. And while she, well, Beth is certainly you know, more put together and probably more popular. And, and, and as Beth says, she like just wants to be a friend to everybody. And she probably is. People really like her. And Debbie knows that. And so I think she's always like, yeah, well, you've got a kid and I don't. So I'll always still have that over you. I'll always still like, you won't, you won't be able to eclipse me. I won't be totally less than. And it's, it's sort of this odd, you know, toxic thread that I think strings a lot of friendships and relationships together. Yeah, but luckily I will say one thing about their relationship that she doesn't, like, hate her child. Um, She doesn't hate Amber Autumn, which is cool. I mean, she's not like, oh, hug me, you know, auntie kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's not like, you know, uh, an ab-fab sort of, like, Patsy (laughs) hates sappy sort of, like, I want you to die and I I wish you never existed. Like, no, she likes the kid. Mm -hmm. She does. Mm -hmm. Especially, like, she blows bubbles into her Camaro and she doesn't kick her ass, which I would be like, I would, like, if you do that to my Camaro, I'd be like, no. Right. So, you know, like, they're just there. She likes the kid. She's just not very, uh, I guess, maternal. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't give her lots of hugs or stuff. But, you know, she's known her her whole life. So, I mean, at least that's a a thing where they're – it's not completely negative towards the child. You know, like, so that's a good thing. So you don't completely hate Deb. You know, you're not, like – Debbie's not completely, like, dislikable in that regard. Totally. To me, the way it read was, like, it's like Amber Autumn is her friend's little sister. And it's like, ugh, Amber, get out of here. You know, but, like, at the end of the day, like, come on, Amber, we're going to – you know, we're going to Sky High. You know, we're going to get Sky High, you know? It's like she – um yeah she 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 doesn't hate amber autumn but she um i think in some ways it's like yeah she's uh she's having to compete with her sometimes it's certainly like competing for beth's time and for beth's energy yeah and that's kind of yeah it's totally unfair to a child but i mean the way we you know raised kids the ethos was a lot different back then Mm -hmm. you know i mean having a kid in the room talking about that sort of stuff i mean you know, yeah, there was a lot more adult talk around children back then. Um, yeah, it was different. It was different. Oh, you know, yeah. Just, I, I, to me, that sounds normal. That sounds right. It's like being in the room while adult conversation is happening. And um, no one was putting me in the other room with an iPad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Now it's like you don't, you know, like, oh, make sure that the kid's out. You don't, you know, you don't say things about current events, mm-hmm. God forbid, or anything. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a much different type of culture. So I like that it, like captured that and especially like it captures also the um the snowbirds you know basically old people from who go to from new jersey to florida Mm -hmm. like you know nick is like hey i'm gonna buy this place in jacksonville and we're gonna live out our retirement years and like that is totally my parents yo they totally live in florida now i love it yeah Mm -hmm. oh totally oh absolutely no they totally they they sold their place to listen. They were like, we sold it to some people from Brooklyn. Ha ha ha. <laughs> For like a lot more than it was worth. That kind of sure. thing. Got out and now they're in Florida. Oh. So it's like, yeah. And that's what, but it's cool. Cause it's that little culture where they kind of leave old people leave that area. But it's also such a sweet idea. That whole, like their romance, like that is the dream. Oh yeah. Like yeah. their first little scene, their little afterglow mm-hmm. where she's smelling the roses and you're just like, oh, that is what I want when I'm like 65. Totally, you know? totally. And like Ugh. Nick is such a good guy. And yes. um, and I feel like there's, 
you know that that little narrative, which was not in the original play, because the play just had um, uh, Rick, Debbie, and Beth. Oh, and okay. so um, and the and uh, Anthony DeSando, who plays Bobby, he played Rick in the original production. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, um, that's and cool. So, I like that. Yeah, I love that little connection. I mean, he was so perfect as Bobby, but. Um, and so uh, the the whole Ginny and Nick storyline was all new to the movie, and it's it is it's such a perfect little you know um, senior citizen New Jersey romance. Like when they're at the Italian American club, yeah. I just fawn over that scene because it's like oh my god! I remember queening out about this on the Patreon episode, but the way that they all clap at the end of the song yes. is is so and like Jenna Rollins is just. It's like she she just knows what to do. Like she like looks around a little bit. She just is that woman in New Jersey at the Italian American Club. Oh yeah, they, they have the bocce ball court yes. inside mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, in, I mean, in my town and growing up, that we would like they would jog around uh, the park that was adjacent to the high school that had a bocce ball court, mm-hmm. and the old guys was like literally no lie, they would bet with lira. At the time. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love so it. The, the, the Euro didn't exist. So, like, they would sit around and these old guys and we'd be watching these old guys gamble, like, at 10 in the morning playing bocce. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, like, that kind of thing. Like, that is such a real thing. Like, the ethnicity is real. And it's kind of cool that an Indian, Indian American black director brought this all to four. I mean, she has a wonderful vision. Oh, Mir Nair, I, uh, having seen Monsoon Wedding, you can feel her influence on this movie. And it's crazy how she, a movie like Monsoon Wedding that is so rich in Indian culture and is like so specific and so personal for her to be able to bring like that same, um, that same nuance to New Jersey in the 1980s and to kind of, it doesn't feel like she's trying to capture the same thing that she's doing in Monsoon Wedding, but what what's happening is she's getting the authenticity of it. Like she's getting the kind of like small truth that it's like, how did you know this? How did you know that this is what a summer night in New Jersey felt like, you know? And I think yeah. that's what I really appreciate about her is that she finds that grain of truth, even when it's so far from like what she knows uh, personally. Yeah, I mean, she did a fantastic job. And it's it's kind of interesting because cheesy as it is, the first film I saw by her was Kama Sutra. Mm. The, uh, yes, that that one, it was like on like Encore or something. Sure. It was like, you know, and it was one of those things. And I was like, what is this thing? And of course, like, you know, I was a teenager at the time and I was like, there's like some really good looking dudes in it. Mm. So I was like, ooh, it's, te-. but it's like, you know, it's very, you know, it's sexy, but it's, you know, it's, it's classy, sexy kind of thing. Right. But it's definitely... It, I, I tried to rewatch it. I rewatched like half of it. It's it's you know it, it's definitely like if you're a young teenager and you want to be like to the ladies. Oh or something. yeah, uh-huh. but it's very gorgeous. It's a gorgeous film, and that's the thing. Her vision is is a beautiful. Her Meisen scene is always gorgeous. Yeah. You know, it has this really complete look. Um, she even did Vanity Fair. Oh right. Um, mm-hmm. with Reese Witherspoon. Weird casting, but it worked. And that also fantastic vision. Yeah. Uh, wonderful Meisen scene, very complete. Everything's complete. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I, I feel like she just, she knows what she wants in a scene. And it's like, um, I mean, it's, you know, I feel like I've been, I recently rewatched Parasite, you know, like a great example of like. Yes, every... I watched that recently. Yes, yes. Parasite. Oh, Parasite. Oh, the women oh. of Parasite. Oh. Um, everything about everything it. Everything about it. But the, it was that same feeling of like, all of this has been considered. 
everything that's in this scene has been considered. You know, it's not by accident that any of this is looking like it does. Uh, yeah, I mean, even, yeah, even like talking about like Bobby, the bartender, mm-hmm. Anthony DeSantos, he was on, he played Brendan Pallone on the on the Sopranos. Oh. I don't know. Did you ever watch The Sopranos? It's still on my list. I, I feel like I'm, oh, it's going to be too violent, but like Edie Falco, so I'll get there. <laughs> oh, God, you'll love it. And it's it's like home movies. Um, I mean, literally when I was in production, I was constantly being like, it was around the block from where I lived a lot of times where they were doing oh, like wow. uh like the funeral home and things like that. So it was always around, but yeah, it's a wonderful thing. And he plays this guy, Brendan Pallone, who's a pretty important character to a lot of the stuff in Sopranos. Mm. So he's not like, you know, he's in like the early seasons. Fantastic. But that was previous to this film. So like they were like looking around for Jersey people to cast other than Uma Thurman, of course. And Juliette Lewis, she does a fantastic, her accent is great. Mm -hmm. She feels her accent is really good. Yeah, Uma Thurman's accent's a little here and there. Yeah, you know, Uma Thurman, I I can forgive any accent slips because I think there is there is so much brilliance. I did not yeah. remember. I I knew that she had at least been nominated for a Golden Globe. I didn't remember that she had won the Golden Globe that year. And, I, you know, I've always, like, appreciated her. I In college, I always loved the movie The Truth About Cats and Dogs, um, oh, yeah. which is a great example of, like, she mentions in her acceptance speech at the Golden Globes, like, you know, this role, Debbie Miller, was a role that, like, people wouldn't normally let her play, you know? And the truth about Cats and Dogs, that's, like, a typical Uma Thurman mid-'90s role, and it's a great movie. But, um, you know, I I had such a deeper appreciation of her after seeing this, and I think there's... It's kind of like Lisa Kudrow, you know, in the comeback. There are moments where there's just, like, 20 things going on at once, you know? And and she's playing so many beats so deftly. Um, I think I think the scene with Nick in the daytime at the bar, it's such a, it's obviously a much quieter scene, but it's such a it, like watching that closely, like watching all of the small notes that she's playing. It's it seems like you know a backhanded compliment to say this, but like I did not realize she was this good, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like it, she kind of becomes a child at that, at that point when that scene, like you see her face like ch- ch- turning into like a child, like where she's like happy, especially that beautiful smile at the oh. end. But she's like you her defenses are like really broken down very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like this, the her tough girl facade, like at first when she's like, you know, packing her cigarette, her, you know, she got her get a parliaments out and she's packing them and all that stuff. I love that mm-hmm. specific, you know, recess filter, lovely detail. Right. You know, and, you know, and she's like, no, no, I don't want to sit down. And then he gets the ginger ale, which just breaks my heart. The ginger ale. I, know. I mean, that's a perfect the specificity oh, of perfect. that. I know. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and but I mean, her face, it just the, the changes that go through it in, in such a short. That's a really short scene. Mm-hmm. And it's so well done. And it, the only like there's one scene. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Nymphomaniac by Lars von Trier. Oh, you know what? I think I watched. Yes, because she's in it. I yes. watched the part one yes and okay. so i so i have seen it's been a little while but i have seen her scenes that's the scene like that's one of the only things i can think of where she goes with 27 like this where yeah because it, it basically it, there's this one scene in mrs h where i mean i i i have taken upon myself at the time 
I've watched Nymphomania like, I don't know, like six oh times. I've, I've written about it. I've done the director's cut. I went to see it in the movie theater. Like, I'm like upset because like, I love Lars von Schur's work. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to commit myself to understand what the hell he's doing with this thing. Yeah. So I studied a lot, but her part is like, ooh, insane because she kind of keeps it together and then just freaks the fuck yes. out. And it's great. Ugh. It's great. And But the restraint and the changes in her face. She's a really great, yeah, the, the, the way she changes her face, little bits and things and inflections of her tone of her voice. I mean, she's, she's fabulous. Yeah, well, first... But you don't see her do that that often. No, I, I feel like, to her point, like, she doesn't get those opportunities. And um, thank you for reminding me of uh, her amazing... It, it's like Beatrice Strait <laughs> Network. She has, like, one huge, incredible scene in Nymphomaniac. Like, it, it's just... Or she's, like, in one chunk of it, and it's... Mm-hmm. Just, I remember her going to a twenty-seven. I will definitely be rewatching that scene. Um, awesome. But I, um, this with Nick, I, yes, I, I like. I said like the, there's a, a little girl quality. It's like when he says that he misses selling auto parts, and she lights up, and she's like, "You do?" And th- and there's this like moment that she holds of just looking at him, and it's, it's like she's fighting this feeling of like she of like oh my like she's getting to have quality time with with this older fatherly figure and she's fighting it but she wants it and and i love the connection that she says in the beginning of the movie that she loves cars and then him saying that he sold auto parts and like she says that she knew that but like there's that thing that they could have in common you know there's that they could talk about cars all day you know and and the I, I love, I mean, because obviously he knows that, you know, she made the filet mignon and Rick never showed up and a perfect older guy in New Jersey goes, well, I'll eat it. Like, it was just like, oh, I know, it's like, I, yeah. I know you, you know, <laughs> um, but then, you know, when he just kind of like gives her that moment, you know, that, that thing, as you said, like that she needed of just someone saying to her, you know, I know how you're feeling. It feels like this must be the end of the world. And it never is, you know, and 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 like that alone could have been a like a gem for her. But then for him to say like you, you know, girl like you, you got to be careful, you know, because you got that special something like your mother, um, and you're smart, you know, and like for him to just like lay that on her, and then just like the smile that breaks through is she lights up in such a beautiful way, and I'm I'm obsessed with when he says no, no, finish your ginger ale, and she kind of like. She kind of like licks her teeth. She's like, all right, all right. And it's just this beautiful nuance of of Debbie fully giving in. And it's the most joyous we see her up until that point, like pure joy. Um, and I, just, I think it's just it is it's one of my favorite moments in any movie is just that that little interaction. It's so beautiful and so true. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like that's just all that dads have to do. Mm-hmm. Just tell your kid that they're smart. That's all they want to know. Yeah. Like, tell your daughter that she's smart. Mm-hmm. Talk to her. Be you know, and that's that's all you need to do. Yeah, and and they will be more self confident and things like that. Like, thank God I had a dad like that. Have a dad like mm-hmm. that. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Just recently, he was like, you know, giving me like the pep, like almost like the same thing. He has the accent and everything. And like I was before I did this wedding recently. He's like, you're gonna do fine. Well, you've done it before. What's the big deal? You, you can do it. You ain't got this. You know, he was, and I'm like, okay, I know. Right. I know, dad, thanks. You know, I mean, he didn't have to say that. I know that, but it was like, you know, it's just that thing where it's like, you need to hear that from that person or, or a person of that authority figure because it helps you build confidence in yourself. And, you know, and then she never had that. And she's getting that at 20 
seven or whatever. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. You know? Oh, I know. It, it's it's so late to start, but hopefully she can get there, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it, it's at least a step in the right direction. It's it's somehow filling the well or reminding her of, of you know, I mean, and I bet she is. I bet if Debbie could really get some support and could focus, I, there are moments where, like, the last scene at the bar you know, when before Beth's parents call and all that goes down, there's this confidence in Debbie and there's this calm in Debbie. And I can see like this side of Debbie that could like really get her shit together. And I, what I really appreciate about what Nick says is like, A, just in the writing, I love that it's not about her looks. It's not about you're a pretty girl or you're really, it's about you're smart. Like you're valid. And like, I just don't think anyone has ever told that to Debbie. Like, what we know of what her mother's told her is that she's aloof. Yeah, aloof, I'm, which is I'm aloof. weird. Yeah, it's like, um, big words, Deb, big words. Big words, Deb. That's amazing. I love that line. Big words, Deb. Um, the, the line reading of the way that she turns and looks at Beth and that just that shot of her face and how Uma Thurman navigates, I'm aloof. It's funny and sad and tragic and bonkers it's just it's so that line could not could easily not work you know yeah i mean but in, in a way you can almost have you ever seen enlightened the the, the tv show enlightened laura dern the dern is in the it dern i saw i think the first episode right i've seen i've only kind of gotten through like the first uh season it's really really freaking excellent it really is an amazing show but this is about it's basically about a woman who's gone through rehab and is like enlightened and like got out I can see this is like almost like telegraphing, like this is where um, Deb is going to be one day, yeah. like go through the rehab and get, but still be like really high strung and stuff, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. better. And like with her, like knowing her core, but still being yeah. like super high strung. Right. Kind right. Of like that's thing. just her nature, but at least she knows who she is and she can yeah. kind of get herself back to ground zero down to like her base at some point. Um, you know who she also reminds me of? Have you seen the show Pen15? I want to. I'm getting around to it. I, it's all on my list. So when you see it, like, and you're going to love it. I mean, I think you're going to love it. But when you see it, the, the character of Anna, the tall blonde one, I like to think of her as like this younger version of Debbie. There is something, there is like, there's a connection between that character and Debbie Miller that's really fascinating. Um, that show is, oh, Oh my God, the nuance. I, 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 I will be very keen to hear your thoughts because I think right. some of their references, like it was like, like I was, I was like maybe a year older cause it's set in like 1999 and they're like 13 and I was 14 and you know, the age like a dog in those years. But so everything is just about like, Oh, I know all of this endemically. So I'd be curious how it reads for you. Um, if it st- feels as relevant or if it's like, oh, no, that definitely the way certain shows feel like, oh, that was what like the this the the grade below me was into. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm curious because in 99, I was in college and everything. So, yeah. So it was a kind of like, yeah, totally different world, you know, world at that. Point, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I wonder I wonder if it if all the same nuances read like the way that we're talking about hysterical blindness. So much of it's informed by being from New Jersey and knowing what yeah. that time looked like. So um, I, I feel that way about Pen15 is like, oh, my God, I just know all of this, you know. But I do think it, it is an accessible film, regardless of the, you know, the, the jerseyness of it, because I mean, you know, like the same thing where people can watch The Sopranos, which is very heavy, like highly heavily jersey influenced mm-hmm. um 
And you can watch that without knowing anything about the geography or things like that. And, but you know, it will, it would inform on it. So I like, I do like this film just because it is about women and it's not like about a terribly, it's not about a lot of, there's some older uh, reviews I read that were just terrible. They're like nothing happens in this oh, film. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh, it's just a crazy woman. And who would like who, this? She's miscast. Uma Thurman's miscast. Cause who would love this beautiful woman? And it's like, that's the, point like that's mm-hmm. like doesn't matter that she's beautiful right. like ugh. but this is like you know reviews from like 18 years ago like i found they were just like somewhat sexist at times mm-hmm. and things like that and it was just like yeah um, no this film actually has a lot to offer you know i kind of remember those reviews of feeling like the people thinking she was miscast or like why would anyone care about this movie about just this like crazy dumb girl or just like people who like 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 a diner waitress. Like one said that Gina Rowland was uh, un unrealistic because she's too beautiful to be a diner waitress. And it's like, nah, man. Like, have you ever seen a diner waitress? Right. Like, some of them are hot. Right. Like, I don't know. Right. And they're they have like they're very personable. They're incredibly personable people. They're they are, they're they're very like they, they work for tips. It's a social job. Yeah. yeah. I thought she so, was perfect. I I oh yes, she was absolutely. like not a false note. You know. And she's, oh, I mean, that's the whole thing. She's Gina Rowland. She kind of can do no wrong. Right. I mean, she, you're on in all these Cassavetes movies. Mm-hmm. She, you're, you know, she's a goddess. So, I mean, you know. Uh, I mean, in this... It, it was, yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. Casting. I mean, I feel like in this movie, like, I think, you know, it was like between her and Ben Gazzara, it was like, oh my God, like what prestige casting, you know? And, oh, uh, and I, and the choice is like... Because of that, I mean, I, again, I think the acting across the board is excellent, but the choices that both of them make, like, because they're so, like, the, because they're such, you know, royalty, um, like, one of my favorite nuances is after they get the phone, after the, she gets the phone call that Nick has died, and they're in the kitchen, and she, like, turns to the cabinet, and she opens the cabinet doors, and kind of, like, leans into the cabinet, and there's this, like, almost crucifixion pose, and it's, I just, I just love that that choice and like it to me it just it reads as like something like that like that kind of smart choice and there's a lot of moments like this in this movie where it makes sense to me that a woman wrote this a woman is directing it and this is a woman performing it I just love that scene and I love when um she sits down and she starts to write the list and and um Debbie's like you know can I help you with something and then uh, Ginny kind of like pats her leg and says, oh no, I, I just got to make this list. That that has always stuck with me of like the processing of grief in the line of, I just got to make this list. It's brilliant. Yeah, because I mean, what is she going to do really at that point? She has the phone call. She knows that there's going to be a funeral. I mean, she's not immediate family, so what is she going to do? Right. She's going to sit there. Right. I mean, you got to wait for the funeral in a few days and kind of be sad and and and, and, and de- deal with your grief. But she's like, yeah, she's in a weird position because she's the girlfriend and right. not really in the family. And so what do you do? Yeah. But they were going to have this great life. They were going to get married probably and move to Florida and all this stuff. So it's like, holy shit. Yeah, like she was about to finally escape. And, you know, I think, I mean, obviously that then that, that devastating scene of her, you know, crying into his coat. Well, Debbie's oh, downstairs. And yes. and it's so interesting, right? The parallel of like, there's Debbie wearing Rick's shirt and there's Ginny crying into Nick's coat. And they've both, there's, they're both kind of going through this, this grieving process 
um, of of the fantasy that they thought was going to carry them out of this, you know? Right. And I also like the fact that like, like Nick, you know, he's an older man, obviously he's, you know, he's seen life and he's lived life. He's had children. He's had a good life and, and everything. But like Rick, you know, he's got a house. Great. He's got a house, which is pretty impressive for a guy in his twenties in a way, mm-hmm. but he's kind of a cipher. Like he's nothing like he's nobody. I mean, mm-hmm. in a way we've not talked about Justin Chambers at all. Yeah. I mean, he does, he did an adequate he did a really good job in this. Um, I don't really know a lot of his, I mean, he has a lot of work. He's out, he's done everything. Yeah. I don't know Grey's Anatomy that well. I haven't watched that show that much, but I know he's on that show and, you know, very you know, popular actor, but he's kind of like just this dude. Yeah. He's cypher. He just kind of exists just to be that guy, which, yeah. cause this is kind of wake up pattern. So that's why it's kind of cool that he, did you kind of, we don't, talk about him because you don't need to right it was kind of perfect casting because he's just a dude you're right it's perfect casting that he is i mean i i've seen him on gray's anatomy and like there is that feeling of like okay yeah he's just like that like kind of low-key like when he would have scenes of being really emotional it was like this is just not reading for me um because it's just not his energy um you know in general and in, in what i've seen him in and in this yeah, exactly it's so perfect that he's just rick because he could be anybody because this could be any you know, uh, brief affair of Debbie falling in love with somebody. And what I think is kind of fascinating about him is like, it's the moments when you kind of see like the wolf in his eyes, you know, like when he looks at Beth or when he's kind of like sizing up Debbie, like there's that scene when she's dancing and that in the bar towards the end and then like runs into him and then like tries to get him to have the drink with her. And he's like, I don't know, I'm going to see my buddies. And she turns away and then he like, sizes her up and like realizes like oh well you know and then he like says hey you know what are you doing later and of course the hope rises in debbie's eyes and then he says you want to get laid and like the way that he transforms in this very subtle way of like now there's something that she has that he wants it's it's like it's very scary in a way because i feel like that's a very real nuance that i don't even know how you like direct like someone just has to know how to bring that out you know Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's it's almost like especially like at one point uh, when, you know, the alt, not the altercation, I wouldn't say, but, you know, when she gets he's like kind of pushes her or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you hear in the background one of his, hey, man, are you all right? Yeah. Like a friend of his. And that's such a Jersey, like normal guy thing to be like, oh, yo, you're right. When the guy's like probably the one that falls. Right. There's always going to be a guy there who's going to have his back and be like, what's going on with this girl or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like that's always going to happen. So like that's just it was such a perfect thing because it was like oh, yeah I, yeah like the like the know. buddy like you know hey do you you know check you know the men check on the men the women check on the women because then Carol Ann you know goes to Debbie's yeah. side um, yeah and uh, the other moment you know in all of that that I would be remiss to not highlight is when he says to her before like hey do you want to get laid and the way her face just breaks like there is like you just you see the wound it what it makes me think of is um i don't know how how familiar familiar you are with the simpsons but um oh, oh thank god I love them. okay yeah, so yeah. when um 
when Lisa rejects Ralph Wiggum at the award show. His heart. And his heartbreak. Yes. And then Bart is mm-hmm. like, you can see the moment his heart breaks, We're like slow mowing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is like, that is what happens with Debbie is you see the moment her heart breaks. And if I remember correctly, because the, the bootleg I saw on YouTube is I believe there's a tear running down her cheek. Seriously. Yeah. She cries. She starts crying. Like she has like a little tear and she's just like, yeah. And, and it's like, he doesn't even notice. It's not even that he doesn't care that she's crying. He doesn't even notice. No, it's just... He's not even paying attention. He's not even drunk at that point. He's just like, whatever. You know? Okay, great, cool. great. I, I Then I got someone I can, you know, take home and sleep with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, I think the way that she plays, how she, like, the, all of that, the fact that a tear falls, like, to me, I'm like, oh my god. Are there more awards we can give Uma? That's <laughs> genius. Um... But, you know, to your point, I mean, and I think what we were saying earlier about Rick is, like, it's not that he's this, like, awful predator. He's just it, – it's like she kept poking the bear, and it's like he doesn't want anything to do with you unless he does, you know, for, like, a few minutes. Like, it, it he's not perfect, and I'm not saying he's innocent, oh, yeah. but um, he's not preying on her. He actually wants nothing to do with her. Yeah, and he doesn't know how to get rid of her. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he wishes, like, damn, I wish she wasn't here tonight. Like, a douche, you didn't have to run into each mm-hmm. other kind of thing. Right. That's why it's like, you know, when, you know, just, that's like, uh, he's not coming over here. He's not looking at mm-hmm. you. Like, he's not, like, he's just not really into you. Yeah, and but then his fatal flaw in some ways is, like, in the first scene when he meets her, when he says, hey, cheer up. Like, he kind of, like goes back for one last little thing instead of leaving her. And I feel like he does. It's very similar when he says, do you want to get laid? Like he reconsiders her and it's like, Rick, just let her go. You know, like there's something interesting about that, that he doesn't, that he still kind of puts a hook in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. It's just like, he's, but other than that, he doesn't have much of a personality mm-hmm. or anything. Cause there's no, I mean, she, you know, she has all the personality and he's just there, you know? And he's not trying to give her very much as well. Like I think of the next morning after they sleep together and you can tell he's just like, it's like a telegram. It's like how, you know, how few characters can I use to respond to you? You know? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm working on a thing. And it's like, just the fact that they have like this one conversation and she latches onto that, like, oh yeah, we're, we're fixing up this house, Uh, that kind of thing together. And it's just like, I mean, of course she's going to spin her fantasies because even later she says, you know, oh yeah, my dad used to come to this bar. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she makes up the things in her mind that she wants to be, and she says that they are. Right, right. I mean, I think you know. that just that, that concept of her father coming to that bar, and or she kept looking, she always kept looking for him there, but she never found <sighs> him. And I thought, well, you said a mouthful there. You just keep looking mm-hmm. for him and looking for him. And with Nick, that was the closest that she'd found. I guess when you think about the backstory as well of like, the first date scene between Ginny and Nick, when Ginny tells him how like, he just left, or he first he brought his girlfriend over and had dinner with them and like just made fools of them and then the next morning packed his car and left and I think about like what that wound would be for a 13 year old girl who was she was made a fool of and then abandoned and then here is Nick saying you're smart and you're special and you know and his intention is to stay and it's um I I you know I I the it sounds like a total downer that then he ends up dying, but like the movie does end up being quite uplifting by the end. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. And the thing is, it's, it's neat that they just, you know, she gets new furniture and they're like, 
cool. We're going to maybe have a party, maybe have a barbecue. And it's just they live like a regular life, mm-hmm. which is nice. And even, I mean, you know, you know, Beth swears she's going to quit smoking. Oh, you know, she smells. I love it. She's still smoking, but she's going to quit, which is cool. I love that. But she's thinking about it. And that's that's gross. Oh, and that, you know, like yeah. that's that's smart. So it's like they're getting there, you know, mm-hmm. like it's. Yeah. But I, I, I do like it. I, I mean, I just love to see. I like the fact that, you know, there's not enough Juliette Lewis stuff out there. I mean, I feel like the biggest and my my favorite of hers is Natural Born Killers. Yeah, which I haven't seen her. yet, but I... Oh, I, my God. I, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I've heard it's amazing. Well, it, it, well, it's interesting because it was like the zeitgeist, it, when that came out, it was like everywhere. It was huge. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing you could ever think of. Oh, yeah. Of. Uh-huh. And now people don't talk about Oliver Stone films anymore, really. They don't yeah. They don't want to touch that film. They don't even, like, people are like, wow, Woody Harrelson can do, like, you know, all these amazing, it's like, yeah, he was doing that back in 94. Like, right. this is nothing new. But that film somehow, like, kind of fizzled out, and I don't know why, but that's a spectacular performance from Juliette Lewis, and we just don't get enough of her. She's wonderful. Yeah. She's in, like, bits and pieces here and there, and I just, I want more of her. She's just a lovely entity to look at she does great voice work great character work she's very like really great range just not out there enough you know? i agree i feel like in some ways you know i'd love to see more of her and like if we still had britney murphy on this planet we, it could be a similar oh, career yes. you know what i mean it's a similar energy of like i just want to see more of you all the time yeah i mean she was like recently on like a like a, a um at home with Amy Sedaris. Mm-hmm. She's on like a skit on that. Like little like little things here and there. Maybe it's just, who knows? I mean, don't know what people do. Not actors don't always want to act constantly, but right. she's such a wonderful talent. And especially to see like this film, which has been sort of forgotten because you can't get it anywhere. Really can't even stream the damn thing. Right. I know. I mean, you know? it's such a great showcase of our talents. Like I think even of she, I mean, it's such a great best supporting actress role, you know, like, mm-hmm. and if this were a bigger movie, I mean, she did get some nominations and, and some recognition, um, not just at the Golden Globes. And so like people, she, for at least a brief moment was recognized, but even her driving the Dodge Omni and like going to, to help Debbie with the filet mignon, the way she runs up the front, you know, the front walk and up the stairs, like there is a, a nuance to that that is so like, it's it, it to me. I'm like, oh, that's so Juliette Lewis. She would know how to do this. And I, yeah, she puts a cigarette out on her flip flop <laughs> on the bottom of her flip flop. Yes, that's amazing. So... And she's like running and kind of like doing that. And then like you know, she doesn't want because you don't want to put it out on the ground or whatever. Yeah. Like it's just like, what are you doing? It's great. <laughs> it's such a great nuance. And I like to imagine that she just like did it on her own. That it wasn't like a, it was an improv. You know. And she's a good smoker too. She has a very natural smoking. Mm-hmm. Uma Thurman, her smoke, her acting smoking is maybe that's yeah. That I'm like, eh, doesn't look real to me. Mm-hmm. But at least in that film, authenticity wise too. At least period piece wise, everybody's smoking, which I appreciate mm-hmm. because a lot of period pieces that are made now do not have people smoking. But really, people were smoking up until like ten years ago. Yeah, in a lot of places. So it's like we kind of have forgotten that. And at least I keep that history in where it's like. That was the norm. That was the norm. Everybody smoked. I mean, I, I, yeah. You know, mom don't, you know, but yeah, like parties and stuff. Hells yeah, mm-hmm. smoking at parties. That's how you keep the drinking, keep the booze down. That was normal. Right, right. And like, I just think you of know? like restaurants with like smoking and non-smoking mm-hmm. sections. I That was the norm. And we, we never sat in the smoking section because like, you know, my parents weren't smokers. And my mom really hated the smell. And so that 
I remember going to restaurants and like, oh, well, you know, there's there's a wait for the non-smoking section, you know, and do we want to yeah. sit in the smoking section? No, it's not going to be worth it. We'll wait. And um, yeah, you know, all of that was just a smoking in bars. I mean, I remember whenever I think of like the, whenever I like the smell of like a bar that someone is smoking in, like it makes me think of when I was like in Australia in like 2005, because I don't know, there, people were smoking in bars back then and in Australia, but it's like there is something that's now ingrained. There's a certain cocktail of smells that is specific to being in a bar that it's like watching this movie. I know what that bar smells like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everybody was inside and smoking. It's like now it's like everybody's outside smoking out in front. But you know, they have like, you know, there's like two people hanging outside. Everybody's squishing. Everybody's smoking and drinking. That's like literally how it was. Like there's so many of those little bars like that. You know, these like little kind of with a one little pool table, has some music, maybe they'll throw a karaoke, they, you know, kind of in the back, and that's about mm-hmm. it. And people still go there, oh, like, yeah. on the weekends. They're like, oh, yeah, let's go. And, I mean, it's and you're like, seriously, it's like, this is tiresome. Right. Like, there's actually, like, or we can go to the city. Hey, right. crazy concept. Hop on the path, go to the city, and have some fun there. Right. But they never do that. Yeah. It's in, they're not even bridge and tunnel, which isn't even a concept anymore. Right, right. But the bridge and tunnel, they're not even bridge and tunnel people. So it's a very interesting thing. They just stay in their little world. I think about that with like, um, because yeah, like people in New Jersey who are not, who don't see themselves as city adjacent, but live in New Jersey and like their life is all in Jersey. And I think about that with like people who live like, deep into Brooklyn or far out in Queens, like far from the subway where it is way more suburban where, and I always think, Oh man, but you're like, you're so far from Manhattan, but it's like a lot of those people, like their lives are probably not in Manhattan. They don't go to Manhattan. Like it's not, you know, life doesn't all like take them back to, you know, Times square, you know, and, and proximity. And, and I think that like in other parts of the country, that's that are much more spread out like the idea of a small town and staying within a small you know square mile radius is like well that's just what you do because where else are you going to go but the the idea of people doing that in new jersey or in you know the new in new york in the city that people will still stay in their neighborhood and in their clump and in their community and so like going to ollie's is is tired, but it's familiar. And I feel like it's that familiarity that people just wrap themselves up in. And, you know, and yet at the same time, someone like Debbie is also hoping for something new to happen, you know? It's a very specific type of culture. And it's just so interesting to see it captured. And from a female perspective, because like talking about like The Sopranos again, Mm -hmm. fabulous. I mean, it's really, it's a wonderful, just the storytelling is wonderful. The acting is wonderful. But it's more of a male story. There are a lot of female elements, like a lot of a wonderful female storylines and things like that. But this is specifically feminine about how it was being a woman in that time, you know? Yeah. And I think that's like, it's really interesting because people don't know. It's like, no, you had to be, because, you know, Deb is tough and she's sexy at the same time. And that was a big thing. If you have to be tough and sexy mm-hmm. and sort of independent, but also wanting to get married and things like that. Yeah. It's like, it's a really weird sort of contradictory world. Right. So, and it's like, and that's confusing enough. And then you have someone like Debbie who has trauma and potential mental health, you know, that's not being treated and, and um, you know, ha- has anxiety and, and has all of these factors. Like, I think the fact that there's all of those other things under the surface, it, I, it just lends even more so to the, to the authenticity and to like the nuance that, that this is someone who's, 
not just a caricature, that there's elements of Debbie that are kind of ridiculous, but that's real. Like there's there's oh. things about her that are even I think the way she smokes, sometimes I think, is that just Debbie not knowing how to hold a cigarette, you know? Like yeah. it's things like that where it's like this is like compared to Beth, who just knows how to do it, you know? It's um I, I think that complexity uh, in the lens of women in the, in New Jersey in the 80s, that it could have that much depth um, is, I guess, why I just come back to this movie over and over. Yeah. And I wish, I mean, more people would get it. I mean, I'm, I, I really think it's a it's a copyright with music issue that they're at, not out, but there's not a lot of information as to why this thing is hard to find. Mm. Um, there, Yeah, there's there's a few. Uh, it is. Uh, there's a really crappy print on YouTube, I believe. Yes, uh, it's under the title. Uh, is it pronounced Jenna Rollins or Gina Rollins? I've oh. Gina, Gina, as far as I know. Okay. Yeah, Gina Rollins, mm-hmm. and yeah, so it's there's a yeah, there's a like a it's yeah, so something like Gina Rollins in a movie or something. Yeah, like, I, yeah. if you search Gina Rollins hysterical blindness, you're gonna find a three hour and thirty six minute video. It's just hysterical blindness like three times. Yeah. It's really bad, but it doesn't look that great. So if you actually want to get a real copy of it, just put down the 10 bucks and buy the DVD. Absolutely. Honestly, it's the only way you're going to find it because libraries don't have it. It's no streaming. Don't know. Yeah. Distribution in this age is really weird. So hold on to your physical media. Right. Like, right. Or, you know, you know, burn it onto your computer and, and just mm-hmm. put that on the cloud, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. I uh, And I guess, you know, as, I love this movie. And it makes me sad that it's not more well known, but there is also that element of it being this gem that when you find it, it's like, oh, where have you been? You know, and I, I'm excited for other people to have that same experience. Absolutely. I mean, and especially like, you know, just to see a nice, like, you know, Ben Gazzara, Gina Rowland, you're not, you can't go wrong. Yeah. And you're going to, you're going to enjoy it. You I mean, you will feel uncomfortable. Oh, so, I mean, yeah. you will feel uncomfortable, but that's why it's kind of cool. These wonderful sort of tracking shots handheld camera through the bar you feel like you're in the bar it has a a gravity to it so you know you know sit through the uncomfortableness you know Mm -hmm. if you can get through like the you know the the rehearsal dinner scene and rachel getting married you can deal with this totally totally and i feel like with this it's what's most uncomfortable about it is because we all know deep down this these feelings we may not have been debbie specifically but i feel like we've all contended at some point in our lives probably at a younger age than her those like that that blindness of like you just it's seeing the guy across the room or the thing or the whatever um that you want and you're like this is what's going to make me happy and and you just push away all the all the truth because it's like but if i could just have that everything's going to be okay and um it's like, ugh, I feel so seen by hysterical blindness, you know? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it'd be yeah, not just like, you know, like, or to, sort of a, like a personal, like, home movies thing, which is like not like a, you know, a, a, in criticism, one shouldn't use their own person. But, you know, hey, we're both from Jersey, and it, yeah. it feels like home, yeah, you know? It. Yeah. It, it looks like a place that doesn't, you know, it does not exist anymore, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not that I miss it as such, but there was a charm to it and it's gone now. Yeah. So it's nice to see that that sort of thing. And, you know, it's just nice to see, like, you know, female director just doing a female film, uh, you know, and with just wonderful actors. And it's not it's not it's yeah, it's just a slice of life. Yeah. 
just this is life yeah. and this is just these people regular people yeah it's awesome you know i love that i just exactly because at the end of the day that's also like with with all the complexity that's in this it is also just here is a glimpse it's not the beginning of their story it's not the end of their story it's not the only story in this town there are other ones that are more tragic you know and the ways in which this are this is mundane and that this is maybe small is also how why it's so profound. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see just a gentle story at times. I mean, yes, there are like a lot of like, you know, anxiety and sort of that catastrophizing, that sort of mm-hmm. thing going on. But it does. It just has a lovely like rhythm to those certain points of the elderly romance. Oh, things, yeah. You know? and, and and that by the end, I think to reinforce what you had said that we really do see between Debbie, Beth, Ginny, and Amber, we see a family. They're, they're, you know, running around, you know, squirting the hose at each other and playing on the front yeah. lawn. And it, and it's, and I love that final shot, that like aerial shot of like, here they are. Here's just this, like, here's this family in New Jersey, you know, just on in the summer playing on the lawn and, um, and life's just going to go on. You know, I, I, yeah, it's and, great. Yeah. And that was apparently like Nair's like only like Bollywood type uh, shot in the film because it's a you know just crane shot going back mm-hmm. up and and most of the film is handheld and things like that but she wanted to do like one shot that was sort of Bollywood-esque oh. sort of like you know but the, and she you know and that's the thing too she does have that sort of background mm-hmm. of you know with that so it was lovely to see that little like ah you know it, it's a movie right it's ending in this inspirational way sort of you know tracking back right seeing you know life's happening it's, it, was, it was lovely I love that. And, you know, of course, with Cindy Lauper and that that song. Absolutely. When I was a little girl. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In the summertime. Big hit. Oh, love yeah. It. Yeah. And, and you know, I love that Cindy Lauper is like one of the few singers where you hear the accent when she's singing. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. love that it's like unavoidable. So thank you. Thank you for letting this all happen. Uh, this, hey, thank this you. The best this hour awesome. and a half of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, of course, you know, you are not only have you, uh, been on in the details before you, you are no stranger to podcasts. Where can folks hear more of you? Well, I've been on a few, um, generally I'm, I'm guessed a lot on a wrong reel. Uh, they're coming up actually to their 500th episode wow. soon. So yeah, uh, it's big, big consortium of just film freaks all over the world. And we all get together and talk. Um, so I've been on there, uh, Flixwise Canada, couple times uh that's a really great um podcast to check out a lot of film stuff on there fantastic uh wide-ranging podcast there so yeah wrong reel is my my like home base generally mm-hmm. though so you know awesome. pop over there so yeah and you can find me on the on the twitter uh liana marie k uh you know so and i i i tweet about like films and soccer so it's a little jarring at times so um, that's you see a lot of soccer crap it keeps things balanced. I think that's great. Um, well, thank you. I, as as always, you are always welcome here in the details. Um, you know, Muriel's wedding was a pleasure. This was the hysterical blindness was a pleasure. Um, so the next thing that we both are in love with and need to talk about, you'll come back and we'll do this again. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to everything you're doing with, you know, BSA. I'm loving <laughs> oh, it. Thank you. Oh, it's fab. No, it's great. You know, obviously this show and I'm excited for you know, all, all right, Mary, new season. We got more case. We got our Casey girl, Widom Bond. That's right. So I'm excited to see how she does. Oh, that's right. We'll see so soon. We're very, we're very excited. We got a lot of Bondus in, in Kansas City. So uh, it, it's, it's a pretty, uh, 
the drag scene here is very excited. Oh, about that's it, so. so great! Oh well, what? A, yeah. oh, that's I'm I'm now excited for her because knowing that you know she's got y'all rooting for her. That's great. Oh yes, absolutely. So you know, I will I will be listening and excited. And thank you so much again. And you know, thanks for doing this. And you know, it's awesome. Oh my God, it is so my pleasure. Thank you. Um, and folks listening, if you want to reach out, you have thoughts, you have feelings, you have questions. All you got to do is drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Colin Drucker or on Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And I might be doing, actually, I'm probably eventually at some point considering the possibility of maybe thinking about doing YouTube videos again. So stay tuned there as well. I'll let you know. Um, anyway, uh, thank you uh, for joining us this week for another celebration of all of the acting choices micro moments and the magic in the minutiae of Debbie Miller, Beth Tachinsky, and and all the rest of them in Bayonne and Hysterical Blindness. I'll see you later.